Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. If you're driving down Old Nashville Highway toward Murfreesboro, by the time you get to Florence Avenue, there is a Church of Christ there. And they have a sign out front which currently says, tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. Five years ago, that joke wouldn't even have had a reference point. We wouldn't have even known what it was to tweet something or tweet someone. And yet that's the world that we live in right now. We live in a world where people talk about things like tweeting, and they mean communicating in 240 characters or whatever the number is these days. So it's very difficult in a world that communicates in such small little sound bites to sit down and read and listen to anything that is well thought out over the course of paragraphs and books. You know that I love books by old dead reformed guys where they'll take a whole chapter to say what probably could have been said in a paragraph, but they will extrapolate. Yeah, they just use language to be very, very exacting on their points. And tonight we're going to delve back into the book of Proverbs, and we're going to read chapter 4 and 5 probably. It is still part of Solomon's introduction really to the book. We've yet to get to the point where he's handing out the little tidbits of wisdom that he's passing on. He's still introducing in large, very poetic themes. And we're going to see him say again, that you need to pursue wisdom. You need to pursue, this time he's going to say, instruction in your lifetime. And I guess it's not too obvious to say we do live in a period of time when people don't want instruction. People are so fiercely independent these days, so self-satisfied, so sure of their own capability to decide for themselves what they want to do. That they don't want anybody to instruct them. Have you tried to tell anybody anything lately? People don't want to hear it. And yet Solomon is going to say, pursue that. Find people that are smarter than you, that know more than you, that have lived longer than you, that have more experience than you, and gain their instruction, gain their wisdom. And then he's going to break wisdom down into very large categories. At this point, it's just big, broad overview stuff. Wisdom leads to righteousness, proper living, making good decisions. Lack of wisdom leads to foolishness and evil. Now, at the end of chapter 3, as we read it a couple of weeks ago, we saw him describe what evil men are like. And he said to his students, don't be like those evil men. In chapters 4 and 5 tonight, he's also going to include women in that. 
and say, don't be enticed by evil men and don't be enticed by evil women. So there you go, you feminists. You're also included tonight. And then he's going to kind of wax poetic. He's going to wax poetic about the value of wisdom, gaining knowledge, gaining good instruction. But then he's also going to wax a bit poetic about the adulterous woman. And we will talk about what that means. And he's going to end up saying, be satisfied with the wife of your youth. The wife that you grew up with, be satisfied with her. You don't need to be going chasing after other women. But then he's also going to refer to her, the adulterous woman, in phraseology and terminology that makes you think he's talking more than just an adulterous woman per se here. He's talking about chasing after strangers, chasing after non-Jews, non-Israelites, chasing after foreign gods, the very same way that God speaks of the lack of commitment to him as being a form of adultery because he was a husband to Israel. And he says, taking wives from foreigners, chasing foreign gods, he likens that to adultery. And so you'll see in some of the language that Solomon uses, he's kind of talking the same way. It's not just don't be sexually impure, which is certainly what he's talking about. He's certainly talking about sexual purity, but then he also is talking about being committed to the things of God and not giving what you have to foreigners, to strangers, to aliens. And he's going to use all of those words as well. So that's kind of the big overview of chapter 4 and chapter 5. If we get through these, then Starting next week in chapter 6, we can start getting into the tidbits of wisdom that only take a couple of verses, and we can start talking about how you live, because that's what Solomon is ultimately going to pass on as his form of wisdom, is how you should conduct yourself, what you should be aware of, what you should be concerned about, that sort of thing. But tonight is more introduction. It's very much like chapters 1, 2, and 3. The first five chapters as a unit are all Solomon saying, pursue wisdom, don't be evil, pursue what's good. So those are the very large categories that he's talking under. Since I mentioned the end of chapter 3, let's start reading at the end of chapter 3, just so that we can review again what he says about wicked men, because he's going to bring them up again tonight. Chapter 3, verse 29. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives in security by you. Do not contend with a man without cause. If he has done you no harm, don't argue with him. Don't contend with him. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the crooked man is an abomination to the Lord. But he is intimate, God is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Now, up till chapter 4, you've seen Solomon say, my son, my son, my son. For the first time in chapter 4, he pluralizes it. 
And different commentators have argued about why he pluralizes it, because by verse 10 of chapter 4, he's going to go back to my son singular. But at this point, he says, hear, O sons. So he seems to be talking to all the young men. Hear the instruction of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. In the New Testament, we've seen Paul talk about sound doctrine. I've told you that that word sound in the Greek has to do with being whole, being healthy, being good for you. The same basic idea is behind what he's saying here. I'm not just going to give you advice. I'm not just going to give you instruction and teaching, but I'm going to give you instruction and teaching that's actually good for you. It's healthy for you to pay attention to what I'm telling you. For I give you sound teaching, so do not abandon my instruction. You'll notice several times he's going to bounce those two words against each other. Wisdom, teaching, instruction, it all goes together. When I was a son to my father, since that's Solomon talking, he's talking about David, his father. When I was tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, you know that later on Solomon had, I think it was two other siblings, might have been three, I forget. But at the time when he was still really young and was an only child, was the second child to David and Bathsheba. At that time, he said, while I was still young, my father started imparting wisdom into me. He started instructing me on the value of good, sound wisdom teaching. And that may be why when God came to Solomon and said, ask whatever you want, Solomon said, wisdom. Because his father had been telling him since his very young, tender days that wisdom was what he needed to pursue. So he's going to quote David between verses 4 and verses 9. It's an extended quote from David passed down to Solomon. When I was a son to my father, I was tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, let your heart Hold fast to my words. In other words, cling to what I'm telling you. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. We've seen Solomon say that already in this book. He's saying, I got that from my father. My father told me, acquire wisdom, but then also acquire the comprehension of these things. It's not enough to just know facts and figures. You also have to know how to properly apply those things to your life so that you can conduct yourself according to the wisdom that you've gained. Let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth, which is simply another way of saying, let these things sink down into your heart. Let them become part of your memory. Let them become part of you. Don't turn away from the important instruction that I am giving you, which is very common for kids to do. Any of you who have ever raised kids know 
that you can tell them to their face, do this, be like this, and they will turn around and forget everything you just said. Wow, all the moms in the room are nodding at this moment. So he's saying, I know your tendency is going to be, as a child, to just forget, but acquire the understanding, listen to my words, don't forget them, don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, he's put the feminine gender now on wisdom, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. So now he's personifying wisdom. He's making wisdom into a woman, and he's saying, love her, and she's going to watch out for you. She'll watch over you if you love her. If you love her, you're going to want to take care of her. You're not going to forget about her. She's going to be precious to you. That's what David is trying to tell Solomon. The beginning of wisdom is, and we would all say, fear of the Lord, right? Except that's not what David says. He says the beginning, the very starting place of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Have you ever heard the instruction of how to be a millionaire? How to become a millionaire. That's the basic instruction, how to become a millionaire. And step one is acquire a million dollars. Well, that's kind of what David is saying here. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. The very starting place of wisdom is you can't be wise until you have acquired some wisdom. Oftentimes, I'll just throw this out. This may not make it to the Internet. Oftentimes, there are people on Facebook, social media, who are uh, stating their opinions as if they're proven facts. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, oftentimes, I read those opinions, and I think, you, you have not yet earned the right to have an opinion. What, why are you stating your opinion like a fact here? So I agree that before anything, the very beginning of wisdom is you, you better acquire some wisdom. You better know what you're talking about. And then with your acquiring of wisdom, get the understanding. Know what you're talking about, not just a bunch of facts, not just stuff you can say and spew and make people think you're smart. Gain the understanding to actually know how to apply the things that you have acquired. Prize her, which is very much like love her and don't forsake her. Prize her and she will exalt you. That is true to this very day. And my son, I think, is going to agree with this. And, and if he doesn't, he can leave. Um, pressure's on. From the time my kids were little, I have really imposed on them the importance, the necessity of good grammar and proper speech. Good manners. Make sure that you properly respect your elders but also make sure that you present yourself with the ability to communicate and demonstrate that you do have understanding of things. Because many, many, many have been the circumstances where I have walked into a situation and people have had to quickly size me up. And they do that based on how I present myself, how I speak, do I have proper grammar. It drives me crazy when I see... Bad grammar. 
uh, especially in social media, or when I meet somebody and they, they don't know how to properly construct sentences. And it doesn't really matter how much education they've had, their presentation comes across as though they're ill-educated. David here is saying, if you honor her, that wisdom, then she's going to exalt you. You're going to be able to move up and on in society and in the circumstances of your life by demonstrating that you have some amount of knowledge and wisdom, that you've had good instruction, and that you have understanding, that you can comprehend what's being said to you, and that you can communicate it back. Right? I see a lot of nodding heads in the room. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head, here's some of the poetry of David, she will place on your head a garland of grace. That doesn't mean unmerited favor necessarily there as much as it means it will be good favor in the society. If you demonstrate that you know what you're talking about, that you have some wisdom and understanding, that that's going to take you through the social situations where you're going to have good rapport with other people, they're going to treat you better. So he says, she will place on your head this garland of acceptance and grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear my son and accept my sayings. This is verse 10. And the years of your life will be many. So now he's even saying, you know, if you're wise, if you're smart, if you have understanding, that will even extend your life. We've heard phrases through the years like, a fool and his money are soon parted. So what's the website? There's a website that's uh, something about Darwin's theory or uh, um, the Darwin Awards, which is all stories of people dying stupid ways because foolish people are likely to die sooner just because they do dumb stuff. And so Solomon is saying, if you embrace the wisdom that I'm going to pass on to you, it will even extend your life if you live intelligently. Verse 11 says, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. Here is the first connection between being wise and being upright. If you're truly genuinely wise, then it's impossible that you don't also have a comprehension and understanding of God. God himself is, as we've often seen, the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if you fear God and you're intelligent, you are going to walk uprightly. And so Solomon keeps connecting wisdom with uprightness. I have led you in upright paths. In other words, paths that are honest, paths that are not lying. He's going to get into that. Paths that are the kind of paths you can be proud of. He's going to mention in a moment that if you walk in paths of chasing after those things that you shouldn't be chasing after, that when you get to the end of your life, you're going to be filled with nothing but regret. So a wise person walks uprightly. Verse 12, and when you walk that way, when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. You're not going to be held back. 
And if you run, you will not stumble. So take hold of instruction and do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. You need to be wise. You need to follow instruction. You have to have an understanding of God. And then that becomes not just your lifestyle. It becomes your life itself. You live in a way that exudes that kind of uprightness, that kind of commitment, that kind of instruction, that kind of wisdom. It becomes your life. Verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. This is why we started out by reading the end of chapter 3 and the description of wicked men. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. He's going to say that also when he gets talking about the adulterous woman. He's going to say, don't don't even go to her door. Through the years, I've said repeatedly, most of the things that people do that they regret doing, they knew where it was to begin with, and they went there. And then they're surprised that they're trapped by it? I'll give you an obvious example. Okay, uh, let's say I'm an alcoholic. And the way that my alcoholism presents itself is that instead of going home, I go to the bar, and then I get good and drunk, and I go home, and then I cause trouble for the wife and kids. You know where the trouble started. It started at the bar. Don't go to the bar. That's too simple for some people. Have you ever seen the Bob Newhart bit of just quit it? He's a psychologist telling people who have their problems. They come and they say, oh, I have this terrible problem. I've been doing this. I've been chewing my nails. And he goes, quit it. Well, that's essentially what Solomon is saying here. He's saying not only don't be part of the evil activity, but avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. And go the other way. Pass on. Move away from it. You know where the evil stuff is, so don't go where the evil stuff is. Okay, so let's extend that out. You're on the internet one day. Just clicking around. But you know where the evil stuff is. You know where the stuff is you shouldn't be looking at. You know where the godless stuff is. You look around, there's nobody looking at you, there's nobody else in the room, nobody can see me, nobody can see my screen, you know, oh, I'm I'm a strong Christian, I can probably dip my toe in a little bit of this. Same deal. You know where it is, don't go there. I heard a statistic today that is not surprising to me, I'm just amazed that the statistic remains consistent, which is harder to say than you might think. Um... It's some remarkably high percent of all the bandwidth on the internet. Pornography. So pornography. Knowing that, when you sit down in front of your computer, you know it's there. You know you can get to it. And it's only that high. It's only that amount of bandwidth, whatever the actual number really is. Uh, But it was remarkably high. It's only that high because that many people are viewing it. Which, by the way, I got to say, means that there are people in the church viewing it, or else it couldn't be that high. 
I'll just leave that to dangle out there. But you know where it is, and the advice from Solomon, the sound advice is, you know where it is, don't go there. Avoid it. You can't later say that you were a victim of it if you went where it was. Does that make sense? Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid evil. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. And then pass on. For they, the evil men, cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness. And they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full noonday. I threw in the word noon there, but that's what he's getting at, until the sun is full. But the way of the wicked is like darkness. And they do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and they are health to all their whole body. So life and health are all intimately tied to wisdom. Watch over your heart with all diligence. That is such good advice. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Because we live as we know, in an evil, fallen world. And we are fallen, sinful people. That's our natural proclivity. If we just kind of take life as it comes, without thinking, and just simply react to whatever comes to us, we're going to be inundated constantly, as we all are, with a constant source of temptation and evil. And so he says, you have to protect yourself. You have to guard yourself. You have to be diligent about it. Look, sin never sleeps. Sin never takes a vacation. The temptations that are coming your way are coming your way no matter what. So Solomon says, guard yourself. Be diligent about it. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flows the springs of life. Now, he's just told you evil is darkness. Evil men have to do evil. Righteous men, good men, pursue the things of God. So make sure that you are diligent to protect your heart because out of your heart is going to come who you really are. It's going to be demonstrated by what you've taken in. That's what you're going to put out. Garbage in, garbage out. And so the only way to live righteously and upright is to make sure that you are protecting your heart and only allowing righteousness in. It's very much like what Jesus said. Let your eye be single. It's very much like what the whole Bible says. You, you've got to be very careful about the things that you allow into your life. So put away from you a deceitful mouth. In other words, a lying mouth. Put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes, here's that singleness of eye idea, let your eyes look directly ahead 
In other words, don't be tempted by the stuff on the right or left. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be firm, will be established. And do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. The whole idea of that little bit of poetry is as you're walking through your life, as you set your direction, as you set your mind on righteous, holy things, as you're guiding yourself toward uprightness, there's going to be all this stuff out here to your right and to your left. It's going to be constant temptation. You're going to be bombarded all the time with the desires of your flesh that are all screaming at you, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me, satisfy me, come play with me. And he says, don't, don't look at either of them. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Keep your eyes straight ahead. In other words, the same idea is being stated over and over and over again, which is keep your focus, guard your heart, be diligent, because it is an evil world. Now, I started out by saying, tweet others as you would like to be tweeted yourself. And I said, a society that can embrace that kind of thinking has a difficult time with these old truths. And yet I think you see that these old truths are as current today as they've ever been. We need to guard our hearts more today than we probably ever have. The manifold temptations that come at us from all directions nonstop constantly. We need to just set our mind, guard our heart, keep our eyes single, keep looking forward, and walk through our lives in an upright manner. That's what Solomon is saying, and I think that's as true today as it's ever been. Too much information. Too much information. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, That's basically him saying, I've been through it. I've already been there. Have you ever tried to tell a younger person, look, I'll save you the trouble. I've already done that. It doesn't work. I've I've already been down that path. I'm going to save you a lot of pain if you'll just listen to me. How many kids ever listen to you when you tell them that? None. Zero. Nobody listens. And the reason that you acquired all that wisdom is because you had to go through it. And then you tell kids, look, I'm going to save you the trouble. And then they have to learn it the hard way. And they got to go through it. Solomon's saying the same thing. Incline your ear to my wisdom. I'm telling you, I've been there. I know this stuff. Give attention to my wisdom that you may observe discretion. In other words, so that you make good choices, good decisions. And so that your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Okay, so here's the beginning of the adulterous language that I mentioned earlier. In the biggest overview, Solomon is saying, be sexually pure. He's saying, one man, one woman, for life. He's saying, keep yourself to the wife of your youth, be satisfied with her. And he's saying, and and don't be committing sexual sins outside of your marriage. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw this in. I'm of the opinion that if you're married to somebody and you're looking at porn on the internet, you're committing adultery. It's not your wife. You're not satisfied with the wife of your youth. You're out there chasing after 
other women, even though they're two-dimensional women. It's still what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your head. You're not satisfied with the wife of your youth. There, I just threw that out there. He says here, the lips of an adulteress are going to be attractive to you. Initially, it's going to seem sweet. They drip of honey. And she's smoother than oil in her speech. It's going to sound good. It's going to be attractive initially. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. He's going to talk a lot about regret coming up. And one thing I know and have told person after person when they've gone through marriage problems, I have told them the one thing that will eat you up more than anything is regret. Make sure that whatever you're doing, you've done everything else possible before you decide to do the ultimate thing or the divorce or the separation or whatever you're thinking about because the regret will come back to chew you up. And the stories are manifold about men who have or women who have committed adultery and then later in life deeply regretted it because they were never able to quite get the trust back. They were never able to keep the marriage the way it initially was. There was always, there's always something in that that leads to regret because the end of the adulterous woman is bitter as wormwood sharper than a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of Sheol. In other words, you start messing around, you start dabbling around with sexual impurity. You start chasing after things other than one man, one woman in marriage. That's the only sexual union that God allows. You start messing with anything outside of that whether that's adultery, whether that's pornography, whatever it is, the end of that, he says, is leading you toward the grave, is leading you toward regret and bitterness. And that's very, very solid advice. She does not ponder. She does not have in her capability to think about the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She doesn't know it. She doesn't know the path of life. The path leads to death, leads to regret. So now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. There he is again saying, you know where the trouble is. It's that woman right down there in that house right there. Don't go there. If you go there and you get snared by her, you can't very easily say, I didn't know. It's why you went there. He says, just don't start there. Don't, don't even go there. Just stay away from it. And then he starts making this reference to strangers. He's going to talk about aliens. And this is the point at which I said earlier, his language seems to be more like the God language of Israel chasing foreign women, chasing foreign gods, and as a consequence, they were committing adultery against God because now the language of adultery that he's speaking of takes on that form of not only chasing after a married woman, 
but a foreigner, but a stranger. And so he's talking about having relations, having sexual relations with other than Israelites, and that that leads to all kinds of regret. Here's what he says. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your vitality, your vigor to others, and your years to the cruel one. Now, I read, I think, four commentaries over the course of the last several weeks, trying to find somebody that would identify the cruel one. It could be a reference to her because she's willing to help you fall. She doesn't know the way of life. She doesn't know the path of life. She's taking you towards Sheol. But I think obviously in the larger sense, he's saying if you chase after her, you're actually going after the devil. You're actually going after those things that lead to death, condemnation, and the cruel one. So do not give your vigor to others. Don't give your years to the cruel one. Lest strangers be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. Now, he may be talking societally, realistically here. He may be saying, if you go into her and let's say she gets pregnant or let's say you go into her and you end up having to pay her. In any case, Solomon is saying your hard-earned goods, what is yours, you're going to end up having to share, having to give to a stranger, to an alien, to a non-Israelite. Verse 11, and you will groan at your latter end when your flesh and your body are consumed. In other words, the regret's going to eat you up. The end of your life, that's never going to go away. It's always going to be in your memory. You're always going to know how you fell. Verse 12, and at that point you will say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof, and I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter Ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Now that's a reference again to the Jewish congregation, the congregation of Israel. So when you compare the language of the assembly and the congregation to the strangers and the aliens, it's more obvious that Solomon is talking about not just committing sexual adultery, but committing that social intercourse with aliens, people who are not Israelites that are not God-fearers, that are not part of God's covenant people. So he's speaking not only of the sexual act in reality, but he's also likening that to being untrue to God. And of course, that's going to lead to, I was in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. And now starting in verse 15, he's going to wax poetic for a few minutes about water from your own cistern and drinking water from your own well. In a moment, he's going to turn back to be satisfied with your own wife. So he's creating a euphemism for don't go give your water to spread it out in the streets. Water in the Middle East being a very valuable thing. If you've got something valuable, hold on to it. 
in the same way value your own wife. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad like streams of water in the streets, then let those be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. So he's still talking ultimately about adultery and about loving your own wife, the wife that you've grown up with. And he is speaking euphemistically about finding water, keeping water, keeping something precious, and your wife should be treated that way. Rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind, that's a deer, and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. If we were to follow that bit of advice, let's say that we were into instruction, that we're the kind of people who like to think, yes, I can take instruction. Yes, the Bible's instructing me at this moment, and I'm going to gain wisdom. Well, then if you're married, and you're not satisfied with your wife, and you're chasing after, let's say, pornography, or you're looking at every bimbet that walks past you on the street. Did I just use the phrase bimbet? I think I did. Um, well, then you're demonstrating that your wife is not satisfying you at all times. The key phrase is at all times. You should be satisfied with the fact that God has given you this woman. Like a loving hind or a, a deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. At all times, always. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? So in that verse, he's really made it clear that foreigner and adulteress are equitable terms. He's saying the same thing two ways. The adulteress is the foreigner. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. That's the key inspiration right there for why you ought to walk uprightly. Not only so that you don't get to the end of your life and have all this regret you got to deal with. And not only because you're going to bring an awful lot of trouble into your life and marriage if you're chasing after an adulterous woman. But in the end, God's watching. In the end, God knows. He knows your steps. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows why you went to where the trouble was, even if you thought you were strong enough to endure it. And the instruction that you've received, even if you had never received it before, you're receiving it now tonight because you're hearing it from the very word of God. The instruction is avoid it. Get away from it. Whatever that thing is that is causing dissension, between you and God that is causing difference, distance between you and God. God is watching. God knows and God has told you, don't go there. Don't do that. And you would think that God saying, quit it, would be enough for us to say, okay, then I'm going to quit it. But sin is a tough taskmaster. And the things that we do that are wrong, we know they're wrong when we do them. 
And yet we go entertain those things because the sin that courses through our body, just like Romans 7, says the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, the thing that I hate, that's what I end up doing. So get in the fight. How often have you heard me say this? I've been saying it for weeks now. Get in the fight. That's the differentiating factor as far as I'm concerned in just about everything. I understand that everybody is a sinner. I get it. I know that everybody's depraved. I'm the one who stands up here and says that week after week after week and have for many years, that we are all sinful and depraved. But equally, if you have the Spirit of God inside you, if you have the Holy Spirit of God inside you, that also necessitates that you don't just give in to it. You don't just say, well, what can I do? I'm a sinner. Oh, well. Instead, you get in the fight. And for me, that's the differentiating factor. If I see a sinful person who is satisfied with his sin or tries to defend his sin and say it's not really that sinful, then I say that's somebody who doesn't understand the faith. If I see somebody who's a sinner and they're struggling and they're trying and they're repentant and and they're broken over their sin and they hate their sin, but they, like Paul, can admit, I just... I keep falling into it. Well, then I can have nothing but empathy for that person. I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to come alongside that person. I'm going to say, yeah, man, as long as you're in the fight, I'll fight with you. If you throw up your hands, oh, well, I give up. I give in. I just give up. Well, well, then I'm going to give up on you, too. I don't mean to be that harsh, but if you're going to say your sin isn't sin, you got a bigger problem than me you got to go deal with God, who has already given you the instruction to quit it. Does that make sense? Yes. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he, God, watches all his paths. In other words, he knows where you're going. He knows if you're going to the path of the wicked men. He knows if you're, if you're going to the path of the adulterous woman. He knows He watches all your paths. His own iniquities, that man, will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Have you ever had the experience of uh, suddenly becoming keenly aware of something in your past that you deeply regret? that you wish you could do something about, but you can't because you can't change the past, and that thing just haunts you and haunts you and haunts you, You, I see your head's nodding. That's what he means. You're caught up in the cords of your own sin. You're wrapped up, you're tied up in the cords of your own sin. And this is all part of that regret thing I've been talking about. Once you are wrapped up in the memory of everything you've done or where you've been or even the consequences of your sin, because even though Christ has forgiven your sin, there's still consequences. And as the realities, the memories, the regrets, the consequences of your own sin are wrapped around you, they're like cords that hold you, that bind you. You're bound up by your own sin. And that is another inspiration for why he says, don't do it. Don't go there. It's not worth it in the end. Because someday you're going to reach the end of your life and you're going to be filled with regret. His own iniquities will capture the wicked 
And he will be held with the cords of his sin. And he will die because of lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, there's the contrast. Either accept the instruction or you're a fool. And if you don't accept the instruction, there's greatness to your foolishness. And in the greatness of his foolishness, he'll go astray. Which I think at that point means he's not godly. He's going to go chase after the evil of this world. And he's going to receive the just penalty for what he's done. So, what advice can we draw from all that? We looked at two chapters tonight, and I said at the beginning, it's just kind of a big overview where he's going to say, be wise, gain instruction, and then he's going to say that wise instruction leads to uprightness. So walk correctly, walk upright, don't go where the evil is, keep your eyes straight, keep your eyes single. Okay, that's the way of righteous, well-instructed, wise men. The opposite of that is fool. The fool doesn't want instruction. And I think if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, then a fool who doesn't want instruction doesn't want the instruction of God. And if he refuses the instruction of God his whole life, he's going to end up at the end of his life in deep regret. So I think the advice is, quit it. That's number one. Whatever it is, just just stop it. Just don't go there. And number two, pursue Sound instruction, wise instruction, listen to the word of God, walk with singleness of eye, and when you fall, when you fail, because you're going to, the New Testament tells us such good news that we have an advocate with the Father. This past Sunday, we saw that we have an advocate to carry our prayers to God, and we have an advocate who pleads our case for us, and as we saw on Sunday, if God is for us, Who can be against us? And with that great a salvation, with that wonderful a calling, with that perfect a guarantee that we're going to be conformed to the image of his son, that ought to be adequate inspiration to walk out our lives with uprightness. Because that's wisdom. Got it? Got it. Got it. Okay, so next week we'll start into the shorter quips and shorter instructions about how you just ought to live on a day-to-day basis. Questions? We're good? All right. Say goodbye to the Internet congregation. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.